1: This episode is brought to you by Tic Tac. Minty, refreshing, classic. And it's not just the Tic Tac mints. It's the new track by Canise with beats that'll leave you feeling as refreshed as a Tic Tac and a vibe that'll take you on a ride through 100 layers of flavor. Does it get any fresher than this? Tic Tac, enjoy the
0: bright side. That 100-layer joyride. Pop one, let's paint the town. Fresh mint flavors all around. Take a ride on a Tic Tac.
1: Pick up a pack of Tic Tac mints today.
0: I mean what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got
1: Brady. We're doing it, we're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Because, hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward <laughs> from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah yeah. Alright. So, we're going team by team. I will be very careful tonight and stuff. Am I gonna get sued are we gonna legal on this?
0: I yeah, like football, like football season, all the things that go with it.
1: Yeah, sure. There was playoff football, the collapse of the Eagles, potential uh, fallout from that, retirements of a legend, all this kind of thing. But the most important thing is there is rugby NFL crossover news this morning. So I am in my bag. Trevor has to start scouting a whole new sport on a whole new continent in order to get his big board together. That's where we are today on Tuesday, January the 16th, 2024. How's it going, Trevor?
0: I just have one question. Mm -hmm. What the hell is a kilogram? All right? Yeah. I'm out here trying to look up height and weight. I'm trying to compare where this rugby guy is going to play in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know where to begin. The staple of where you begin is tell me how big a guy is. Yeah, Height, weight, all right? We got kilograms. We got kilometer. I don't know what I'm looking at here. How am I supposed to scout this guy?
1: Look, you be... Know? Be grateful that there is a listing in kilograms, because they could also have given it to you in stone, and then you've got to try and figure out what does a 13-stone guy actually weigh in what does pounds. That
0: mean? What the hell is this like a like an <laughs> actual stone? Is this like a horsepower kind of a thing?
1: The the British, in their infinite wisdom, as you know, overlords of most of the globe at one point in time, determined that that weight should exist in the form of stone, stones. Uh, and R- Louis Zamet, who is a Welsh rugby union winger, who is now determining that he is going to enter the the NFL's international player pathway, uh, the same thing that essentially sent Jordan Mylata to the NFL. Uh, it's basically like they have a combine, they have a, a kind of glorified training camp, and then they can place players on NFL rosters uh, throughout training camp. And then you can have essentially a practice squad exemption for them if you want to keep them around and have basically a bonus player throughout the, the season. He's given the NFL a shot. Apparently, it's been a, a lifelong dream of his to actually play football, even though he went professional rugby. Um, so he's, a, he's an interesting player to, to, to monitor. But he, you, can, so you can have normal American pounds, right? You can get at 195-ish, right? You can have kilograms. Apparently, he's 88 kilograms. Or you can know that he is a 13-stone, 12-pound individual.
0: So it's stones and pounds?
1: Yes, there are I, 14 I pounds in a stone, but yeah. So it stones, I don't know. It's the it's the same. Stones exist in imperial measurements, but for some reason America decided to drop that part of it and just focus on pounds. You go like straight from pounds to tons or whatever, skipping the stones part in the middle.
0: Yeah, I can't I can't follow you. Let's talk about wild card games. <laughs> I got nothing.
1: <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's go back to the wild cards. Maybe we'll circle back to the uh, yeah, the, the yeah, rugby yeah, thing later in the show. Um, okay, two wild card games on Monday. Not even Monday night. Monday afternoon, and then Monday night. Let's start chronologically. The Pittsburgh Steelers at the Buffalo Bills in. What looked from the TV to be like a perfectly normal Buffalo stadium, and it was only when you zoomed out that you saw the snowpocalypse hell that was surrounding it all that they just cleared from the camera's point of view.
0: Yeah, very impressive. Uh, the, the field crew obviously taking care of things there, making the surface pretty decent. Like you said, like even I, I noticed particularly on Josh Allen's touchdown run where... You know, they're panning out from the camera a little bit and it's like, alright, there's there's barely any snow on the ground but then yeah, you get a little bit further, you go into the crowd you've seen them celebrate and they're just throwing giant chunks of snow in the air and, and and you were reminded that a blizzard just came through that area, but look, I think it's a huge win for the Bills, obviously a lot of momentum on their side, you know, at one point in this season they were 6-6, six and six. they were looking at I don't even want to say mediocrity, like a full-blown rebuild in a lot of ways. And they were staring down the barrel of that when they were at that point in the season. But now it just it feels like a different team. They're still really beat up, which sucks. But they just seem to be playing whatever their best version of ball is for all the injuries that they have. They're playing that right now. And I think that's really important. And for the Steelers, yeah, they made the playoffs, but they never felt like they were doing that. Like they never felt like they were playing a good brand of football, a sustainable brand of football, even when it was going well. Of course, they've got a handful of wins down the stretch to even get them into the postseason. You never felt great about Pittsburgh. It just seemed to be, again, this Mike Tomlin magic where you can't really point to one thing or another and say, yeah, this is why they're winning. This is what their identity is. This is what their stability will be. We didn't really have those moments. They just were winning games, but it felt a little bit hollow and so you got to go on the road in the playoffs it's tough I mean good for Pittsburgh for honestly making that game closer than I thought it was going to be at the very beginning right and then certainly when Buffalo scored a handful of times to start that game in the in the first half it's like oh boy here we go this thing could get ugly and the Steelers are just never a team certainly under Tomlin that really lets things get ugly very often and we even saw it yesterday so a lot of fight in that team but I just never felt like the Steelers had the ceiling to really go anywhere in the postseason, even though it was uh, impressive alone that they made it.
1: Yeah, I think it was a classic kind of early playoff game where the teams are, are at different levels, even if maybe at one point in the season they weren't. Right now, you know, Buffalo is a much better team. The Steelers made the postseason. They did the classic Tomlin thing. They somehow scraped by with the winning record, even though they they didn't look like they, they should have. But ultimately, once you hit the postseason, you run into better football teams, and now you have to win those games. And Pittsburgh couldn't, you know, Miami couldn't, like, it's just a reality of the the situation. Um, They were showing on the graphic at one point during the season, apparently Buffalo had a 5% chance of winning the division. And now, as the two seed, they are hosting the Kansas City Chiefs in the next round, and we have, like, true fireworks there. That'll be pretty awesome to see. You're right. The big concern from their point of view, though, was injuries. I mean, they've been banged up all season long. They lost more guys during this game, which was really the only negative from a Buffalo point of view. Um, And, you know, I guess depending on how you want to look at, it did feel like this was going to be a conclusive beatdown and they were going to sort of run off into the distance and it never quite happened. And, you know, the, the final score, it's not exactly close, but this was at least in jeopardy longer than it looked like it should have been from the way the game started and from the control that Buffalo took of the game. Once they had that kick blocked, you know, things sort of swung back in Pittsburgh's direction for a while and the Bills never quite stomped the life out of the game.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree with you. That's, that's, I thought you put it a a great way when you started your conversation about this. These were just two teams at very different points. Buffalo is going in the right direction the Steelers were not. The Buffalo had their identity, albeit through injuries. The Steelers did not, and, and it just again, you know, credit to them for 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 playing well. I and mean, Mason Rudolph played a lot better than I thought he was going to. Um, I thought that it had the chance to be catastrophic over the last month or so, but uh, he really reeled it in, and and I thought that they played fine. You know, there were a handful of moments yesterday where Pittsburgh needed a big throw, and he had a couple of. And I think that was a big reason why they were able to keep this game closer on the scoreboard than maybe, like you said, you were watching this game. The feel was closer than maybe we imagined. But at the same time, it, it, if if the Steelers would have come back at any point and either tied or took the lead in that game, it would have felt more like a Buffalo collapse than anything. So I, it, it just I didn't get to that point. And i did feel like buffalo controlled it pretty much throughout although it didn't end up being a major beatdown like it could have been
1: um the josh allen experience was on full display josh it's it's such a weird like the the endless cycle of the josh allen discussion is wild like obviously at the start of his career you have this incredibly inconsistent raw quarterback coming out of wyoming plays badly frankly for the first couple of years of his career and then it all clicks into place and he becomes this unstoppable superman. Mm-hmm. And then he sort of increases the the tendency of the, the high volatility and the bad plays and the occasional meltdown. So now you have this classic, you know, weird narrative where there's a group of people out there that are like, Josh Allen stinks, terrible quarterback, turns the ball over, leads the league in interceptions, can't have it. You know, he's not elite. He's not a good, not, not a good quarterback. And then you have games like this where you're like Josh Allen is unstoppable when he's playing well. And you know, you have the whatever it was, 52-yard run where he just carves through the entire Pittsburgh back seven as if it was nothing. You had a play where Patrick Peterson was completely unblocked in a corner blitz and Allen didn't see him until the very last second and didn't get taken down, like just shrugged out of it. And it was it was one of these sort of incredible split-second instinctive things that was at uh, also quite intricate like he didn't just sort of turn you know and and peterson bounced off him he like saw it coming turn shifted the ball into his other hand so that he could like let go with this arm and peterson just grasped an arm that didn't do anything and then took off and gained eight yards and of course you know actually throwing the ball had some great throws in there as well i mean this is the game that sort of shows you look if if all you're saying is the guy leads the league in interceptions, you are clearly wide of the mark and missing what this guy is capable of doing,
0: which at his best is insane. Josh Allen to me is the highest tier of NFL quarterback play before you get into that just like unthinkable levels of sustained success, right? Like I think of Patrick Mahomes, I think of Tom Brady. Like, I think of these quarterbacks who, uh, unfortunately, everybody else in the league gets compared to. Right. Like, th- Like their success gets pair- compared to those guys' success. And in reality, that can't be the bar. Like, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I understand that everybody wants to win the championship, and if they're winning the championship, then you're not, and it's really frustrating. But the things that Patrick Mahomes and that Tom Brady d- d- did in their careers, it's <laughs> – it's not sustainable and instead you have a much more realistic what is the highest bar of realistic quarterback play and josh allen to me is in that tier josh allen will have games where he looks like an absolute superman he looks absolutely unstoppable but then guess what this game is hard this league is hard to win it sustained success consistent success is very very difficult and so josh allen's going to give you stinkers of games, right? I know Dak Prescott's kind of a little bit of a different conversation, but look at what happened to Dak this past weekend as well. You and I were on this show last week giving away awards, and I talked about Dak Prescott being up there deservingly so for MVP for how he played over a 17-game regular season, a large sample size in 2023, how well this guy played. And then against – um. Oh my gosh, who did they just play? Who did they just keep at The Packers. Against the Packers, he looks horrendous. He looks terrible. And I think that we have a bad tendency to not remember that these guys, even some of the best, are allowed to have bad games. And I think the Patrick Mahomes and the Tom Brady standard comparisons skew us from living in that reality because that is reality. And instead – you just have a quarterback like Josh Allen who to me if you give up on you know the people that say oh Josh Allen stinks he throws too many turnovers all this kind of stuff of course you don't love the turnovers but to think that you would move on from this quarterback is insane in any way he gives you a super bowl caliber ceiling the other guys have that and then it's just this i don't i don't even i don't even know what to call it luck blessing from god like whatever it is which has just taken that and then sustained the success for so much longer and those guys are a rarity but my point is the josh allen conversation is always frustrating to me um because like many other quarterbacks it's it's as if we don't allow them to have bad games and it's as if those few bad games outweigh the talent and production and potential that they have on a play-by-play basis and i think this past weekend you got reminded of the type of caliber of quarterback that Josh Allen is and why it's in that tier one of like realistic what you can expect from quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, they like no quarterback is perfect. So there's every quarterback you're looking at. There is this complicated balancing act between how many mistakes do they make? How many negative plays do they create? And then how many positive plays do they create? Um where where is the balance between those two things and what is the sort of baseline efficiency in between them like what is their standard average play in the nfl and then how many big plays do they make to jump it forward and how many bad mistakes do they make to pull it back and where is that whole thing shake out alan is on that spectrum that we talk about, where he makes more mistakes than some other quarterbacks. Right, he is generally more prone to the big mistake than some other guys. Now, not all of them, like just some of them. He's on that kind of end, but he also makes more big plays than pretty much any quarterback out there. So, when you are looking at what he brings to the table, if all you're focusing on is the negative, you're you're just not. It's not a balanced conversation. It's okay if he's going to make more of these. That's that's fine, but there is a number where we can offset that, and then some, right? And it's that balance that's important. It's not just add up all these negatives and then say, no, there's no way that can work, because there is. He could be the most turnover-worthy, prone quarterback in the entire NFL if he's making enough big plays, it still tilts in his favor, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's the conversation with Josh Allen. It's not he makes too many mistakes, end of conversation. It's he makes too many mistakes, so he has to have the big plays in order to break, to offset those. And if he ever has a game where he doesn't make mistakes, now we're talking about a guy that's basically unstoppable because Mm. he does make a ton of big plays to offset the mistakes. And, you know, so you get, you're right. You get two types of games that deviate at either end of the extremes. You get the games where he doesn't make any mistakes and it's almost impossible to stop. And then you get the other games like the Jets game at the start of the season Right. where he makes too many mistakes and almost no big plays and now you can't win with that because like those are both within the range of outcomes of a guy that makes a lot of big plays and a lot of big mistakes. But this was the game where you know if he strings together four of those, the Bills win the Super Bowl. I mean, that's basically what we're talking about. There's almost nobody in the NFL that can go toe to toe with that. Right. Now, one of the guys that can is is coming to town next week, so it's not oh, a simple Oh, I'm so as that. excited
0: for that. Mahomes finally on the road in a playoff game, man. That's that is that is all I really wanted. this playoffs. <laughs> That's all. I mean, you know, minus the Bucks running the table and winning the Super Bowl with Peter yeah. Mayfield. Uh, but that is really what I wanted. We we have talked so much about Mahomes since he has gotten in the league and come to prominence, been an MVP and a Super Bowl champion, and all that kinds of stuff. He's never played a road playoff game. Do Let's think- see it. Let's see it. And again, ball. Buffalo's beat up, especially on the defense side of the ball, which, which sucks. But I'm not gonna let that curb my enthusiasm to watch this game and sure. watch Patrick Mahomes play a playoff game somewhere else.
1: Yeah, I mean, just Mahomes versus Josh Allen, Bills Chiefs. Like the game itself is good. I don't really care where it is. I mean, for the for the point for just simply for the fact of you know, maybe making a different outcome, i.e. the Bills winning this time instead of the Chiefs, just for a neutral's point of view. It's more interesting that way. I'm glad it's in Buffalo. But in terms of like, I don't see any reason it being on the road actually changes anything really for Mahomes, other than it's slightly more difficult that way as it is for anybody. But like, Mahomes' win rate on the road in the NFL is still, you know, all-time historic insane. Mm -hmm. It's not like there's any reason to think this is his kryptonite. It's just It's slightly harder this time.
0: I don't think it's his kryptonite. I just want to see it, right? Right. Because like like you mentioned, okay, there might be a little bit of a, I don't even want to say disadvantage for Patrick Mahomes. When you play at home, sometimes the the hype, the momentum, the crowd, the feeling of not having to travel, like whatever it is, there are those little advantages that go in the home team's favor. So I don't think that Mahomes is going to like, Terrible since he's on the road in the playoffs, but there have been plenty of times in the past throughout Mahomes' incredible playoff journeys where he he does win by the smallest margin of error. And sure. what happens if maybe him not being in Kansas City that margin swings in the other direction? Do we get a different kind of result? And I sound like a Patrick Mahomes hater here, and I'm really not. I just I think he's unbelievably talented, and I want. I want him to experience the full career arc of playing in this (laughs) league. Go win on the road, man. He has done so much already in the NFL. He has accomplished so much. I want to see him do something new. And so I want to see this new challenge from. him. There are not many challenges that Mahomes has not been faced with or overcome yet in his NFL career, which is pretty incredible to say here because he's, what, 28? Right. This is one of them. And certainly, like, if the Ravens beat the – Texans this weekend then he would go on the road again for an AFC for an AFC Championship game and like that's I don't know that's that's cool given everything that he's accomplished man to think that he would then have to go through that gauntlet on the road I think that's pretty
1: cool I mean it is just kind of crazy that it's taken this long for him to have to play a playoff right. game on the road right. like he's obviously had the neutral site games and the Super Bowls but never actually been on the road yet in the playoffs is nuts for a guy that's been as successful as he is and been in the league that long so yeah I mean it's interesting it's nothing else now before we get on to the next game if you have a family family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is a perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company not available in certain states. Prices are subject to underwriting and health questions. All right. Philadelphia at Tampa Bay, the Buccaneers, the Baker Mayfield-led Buccaneers march on. Um, but I'm sad to say, Trev, as much as, you know, you being a Bucks fan, you're going to want to focus on that side. The story of this game is the sad and inevitable collapse of the Philadelphia Eagles from being 10-1 and at one stage this year to just, like, getting annihilated. I mean, this game was horrendous. They got destroyed their defense was a joke. Their offense wasn't much better, outside of a couple of like big plays, and they just got stomped.
0: Yeah. Look, uh, as much as I don't want to, I'm 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 not here to to bring down the vibes of of uh, anything good that's happening with Tampa Bay from from this game. There's no question. The story about this game is the Eagles collapse. I mean, you j- just watch that game alone. You like you don't even have to think about the previous six games that came into this one to know that. Philly couldn't cover anybody. Philly couldn't tackle anybody. Philly couldn't get after the quarterback really much, certainly the way that they used to. They had no offensive passing attack with without A.J. Brown there outside of Devontae Smith. Um, they have completely abandoned the run game over the last month, which I, I cannot understand why. It just – they're straight up not having a good time on that side of things. I mean, Jason Kelsey retires now. There's There's all sorts of questions about – Nick Sirianni's job and what's going to happen with the coordinators and all this man, but it is wild how things have turned around in the worst way for Philadelphia within a calendar year. It's and crazy. It's just it it, it 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 it's it's unbelievable. So, as much as of course like I'm I'm going to get into giving the Bucks their credit because they do get credit for winning this football game, Philly even with the players that they had out there, like even with the injuries should have been way better than what it was last night. And that was a, um, I don't know, everything basically coming to a head of what we saw over the last month. And it's just, it, nobody on that Eagles team was feeling it last night. Like nobody felt like, it, 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 honestly, it felt like that Dallas game, right? Dallas goes out there against Green Bay. We're a quarter into that game. We're not even a quarter into that game. We're eight minutes into into Cowboys Packers. And you're like, Do the Cowboys know that the game is going on? Like do the Cowboys realize this isn't a simulation? Like you're not, this is not a practice walkthrough. If you lose, you are done. Your entire season is done. And it felt like just nobody really cared. And I I hate saying it like that, so I should take that back. I don't really mean that. It's not that these dudes don't care, but man, the Packers certainly seemed a lot more focused, a lot more disciplined, and a lot more desperate to get that win. And it was the same exact storyline in tampa last night the bucks were so much more desperate they had such a a deeper desire it looked like a focus a discipline a fire to win that football game it looked like they were really playing for playoff football and the eagles it just felt like they were playing a regular season game in the slump that we've seen them play in over the last month so that was shocking to me man it really was so i know we'll get into tampa but i agree with you i think what we saw from the eagles is uh That was the biggest shock of what happened.
1: Yeah, there were very few players on the entire Eagles, either side of the ball, who looked like they were interested in changing the way that the season had gone for them in the last few weeks, right? That looked like they wanted to pull them out of this tailspin. Devontae Smith, I think, was definitely one of them. Um, Milton Williams, Brandon Graham, a couple of guys in the defensive line were playing hard. Jordan Mailata had a good game. But, like, that was it. Everybody else it just didn't look like they were interested in fixing the problem. They're just going through the motions and and losing and sort of almost the inevitability of it. Like one of the ways I think it is like that Dallas game was, I think quite quickly in the game, it's just like, I mean, this is just the way it's going to go, you know, and we're all resigned to that. And, (laughs) we'll be back next year. Like Dallas was trying to get out of that game from like the second quarter on. They're like, this is done. This is just the way this season's going. Forget it. We'll try again in a year's time. You know, we knew it was happening and now it's happened. The Eagles, the same thing. I know they kind of pulled it back with the big Devontae Smith play and it was kind of close, but they didn't look interested. Like it was just the inevitability of, we knew this was coming. It's been coming for a few weeks now and it's happening So let's just get to the end of the game and get out of here. Like, they were at no point capable of stopping this Buccaneers offense. Like, if you're watching the Manning cast, Peyton Manning is getting annoyed at the inflexibility of the Eagles offense to change anything, right? They're running empty the entire time as the Bucs Mm -hmm. are blitzing the ever-living crap out of them and have no interest in solving that, right? Either with extra blockers or different pass concepts that can get the ball out quicker And Manning was calling it stubborn and was visibly irritated by the fact that they are like just being dumb, essentially. Dumb, stubborn, and not changing anything. Meanwhile, Ray Lewis is out there like losing his mind because the defense is playing like they've never been on the field together before or have any idea how to like take an angle or simply tackle and is just can't understand what is happening with this defense. Both of them are happening at the same time ordinarily i would say look this team went to the super bowl a year ago and nick sirianni was being hailed as like coach of the year you know phenomenal guy phenomenal coach it's it sounds crazy to be like that guy's is, co- is now in the hot seat but there are individual games in the nfl that get people fired right because they demonstrate like a total loss of buy-in from the entire team to what's happening and it's so embarrassing that somebody's got to get fired at the end of that. Like, there has to be consequences for Mm -hmm. that display in a one-off regular season game. This is like a total... That's that, but over six or seven weeks at the end of the season. It's very difficult to say, like, he's completely absolved of all responsibility for this. He presided over both sides of the ball, spiraling into a mountain and just stopping like ceasing to function and the defense i think was coming from further away like we could see that coming further off and it, it you know just took it was always happening the offense i think has been more disappointing and more sort of surprising but the fact that both sides of the ball spiraled and no nobody could pull them out of it is a big indictment on the overall leadership and
0: and head coach the head coaches that are worth Um, long tenures and long contracts in this league aren't the coaches that, that can figure out what works. I think every single coaching cycle, the reason why there are anywhere from six to eight coaching openings in the NFL is because every single year, we see that there are coaches who can figure out what works. There are new coaches that come around all the time, whether it's on offense or defense, they can figure out what works. They're called these new age coaches. They're on the cutting edge. You know, a lot of them are getting younger nowadays, so it's these younger head coaches that are figuring out the thing that works. That's not what is worth a long-term contract as a head coach in the NFL. The head coaches that are worth long-term contracts are the ones that figure out when it doesn't work. What happens when what you came up with gets punched in the mouth and you get back up and you start swinging again? Can you adjust? Those are the coaches that are the ones that stick around. It's because they understand that this game is cyclical. This game goes through cycles. It is truly the chess match of moves here and there. And the ones that stick around are the ones that, hey, something works, and now it doesn't. And now we're gonna figure out a new thing that works. And now that doesn't work. And now we're gonna have to figure out another thing that works. And they understand the game so well, those are the ones that are able to stick around. I'm not saying that Sirianni is 100% not that guy, but for Sirianni last year, it very much worked. What the Eagles did with the two wide receivers, how well they ran the ball, how they went through their defensive setups. And of course, like Jonathan Gannon and Shane Steichen, very clearly two fantastic assistant coordinators who are now re- doing very, very well with what's been handed to them as head coaches. So I don't want to take away from that at all. So it's hard for me to say, okay, you you lost both of those guys a year ago. Let's fire Sirianni after one year of trying to pick the replacements and it didn't work. That's kind of harsh. But certainly, it is how you have to look at things, because it worked. What Sirianni came up with last year, regardless of how much percentage of it was him versus Steichen versus Gannon, whatever, it worked. And they figured out something that could work in today's NFL. Now it doesn't. For whatever reason, whatever they were trying to do, no longer worked. And even when they were going through their winning streak, right? Even when the Eagles were 10-1 and 1 or whatever it was, it didn't feel the same like it just it did not feel the same and so for Sirianni I don't know if he gets fired I think you bring up a good point there are certain games that get head coaches fired we saw it with Josh McDaniels earlier this year we saw it with Brandon Staley earlier this year shoot could very well be Mike McCarthy from what we saw this weekend maybe this is the game for Nick Sirianni especially given what has happened over the last month I don't know if I'd be that quick to pull that trigger unless you really just know behind the scenes he's losing control of this team right But I'd probably, unless that, if if, if that's not the case, I'd probably give him one more year with it, given all that context and all that circumstance. But there's no doubt about it. Like I said, hey, coaches that last in this league aren't the ones that can figure things out initially. It's the ones that, okay, what do you do now that they've figured you out? How do you adjust from that? How can you come up from being... um, you know again punched in the mouth is kind of a, the analogy that i always go back to what do yeah. you do after that
1: and the fact that it's even a conversation i think shows how bad things got for the eagles like ordinarily i would say the guy just took a team who was to the super bowl they were 10 and 1 this season like it would be nuts to fire him after after that like forget what happened from that point like it would be crazy but the the death spiral for this team was so insane that it demonstrates, I think, a lack of ability to stop that happening. Like one of the things we always talk about with Mike Tomlin, like how does he keep having these winning years when it doesn't look like they belong to have a winning record? And maybe, they, maybe there's a ceiling to how how far he can take them right now without help or wh- whatever. But that probably doesn't happen under Mike Tomlin. Maybe they lose a game or two and it looks ugly and it's starting to get away from them like it was for the Steelers. Remember when you know there was the George Pickens not blocking thing and – like, they had a kind of crisis, an existential crisis themselves this season, and they lost two games that they shouldn't have lost against not good teams, and then they won a couple and got into the playoffs and got a winning record and all those things. Like, he pulled them out of that tailspin and got them back on the the, play, the road that they were supposed to be on, albeit, you know, a team that isn't capable of beating the best teams in the NFL, but the Eagles weren't able to do that. They... They couldn't find the solution. They gave the defense over to Matt Patricia, and that made everything worse. Um, They didn't find any solution to offense. Like, Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles is a good coach, but you know what he's going to do? He's going to blitz you a lot. And they blitzed 70% of the time in this game. Like, 70% of the time. And the Eagles had no checks, no solutions, no answers to it. It was just, oh, no, there's more pressure than we anticipated. There's blitzers. There's free runners. What are we going to do? Like, that that's not good coaching That's not good preparation
0: i agree 100 percent. all right there were there were but there were a bunch of times last night where the bucks were loaded on the line of scrimmage and normally even for a team that does blitz a lot with it with a coach that likes to blitz a lot in bowls it was a situation where i went okay this is a, this is a, this is a, this is a sim pressure like they're not bringing all these dudes and then they did <laughs> Like, m- multiple times throughout the game, that happened. I was like, geez, okay. And every single time, it felt like they got after Hurts. Yeah. And sure, you're overwhelming the offensive line. Like, that's the point. You're blitzing more guys than they have blockers. But when that has happened previously, this season specifically, quarterbacks got to check. Like, they're throwing it to somebody. Somebody's wide open. It's an easy eight-yard gain, whatever. Philly had none of that last night. And to your point, it looked like they weren't even ready for it. They didn't even prepare for it.
1: Right. Um, so let's go to the other side and let's give Tampa Bay some credit for this because, you know, this is a team that wasn't expected to be in the postseason. This was supposed to be the New Orleans Saints division. Um, they didn't get it done. Tampa Bay under Baker Mayfield played well enough. They get to the postseason and then you're like, look, this is this is a live game. They could win this because the Eagles have been so bad heading into the playoffs. And they did. They, they were the better team throughout and they ended up pulling away, you know, late in the game and made it not even a contest. But – they showed up ready to play. They had some, you know, good adjustments. They could have been further ahead. There was some drop plays, right. you know, early in the game where Baker Mayfield made some nice throws and his receivers were letting him down. Um, Kate Otten dropped a couple of them. Okay, the first one, like, there's pass interference on it. Yeah, but I think he still should have caught it.
0: You you, you catch that. You're a tight Indiana NFL.
1: Right. You the second them. one, I mean, there's no pass interference. He's wide the hell open. He just drops that right. one. Just uh, drops it. Mike Evans right. drops a clear touchdown, you know, on, on a – a run straight past James Bradbury. There were big plays there that they left on the table. uh, So it could have been like even further out of sight early, but they looked, they looked pretty good.
0: Let me tell you, I knew when this game was over when I believe it was the very first rush of the game, they hand the ball off to Rashad way on first and 10, he gains nine yards. I was like, all right, it's over. We're good. We're (laughs) like, they're, they are on to Detroit because Tampa for most of this season has been horrible at running the ball. And the fact that they gained a nine yards on first, like you are enabling a pretty conservative game plan that a lot of Bucks fans have complained about all year long with opening things up and running the ball on first and 10 a lot or second and 10 a lot. If you pass on for And so it's like, it's, there have been plenty of opportunities to go after the play calling because of how conservative it has been, but especially because when they have run the ball for most of this season it has been very ineffective. Now, second half of the year has been better than the first half of the year, but again, when you're gaining eight, nine yards on first and 10 on the ground, I was like, okay, this is not going to go well for the Philadelphia Eagles. One of Baker Mayfield's best games that he's ever played, I think. You you go into some of those drops that would have been touchdowns. I mean, the Mike Evans one, that's an easy touchdown. Later in the drive, the K- the dot and that would have been another touchdown. So you could throw that on a stat sheet if you want to with the uh, adjusted statistics. But he just played so confidently. I mean, you look at some of these throws, and he is canoning some of these throws with as much heat as he's got. Pinpoint accuracy. Now, not every single throw, of course, but Mayfield was playing so confidently, and that's why I think it was one of, if not the best game that Baker has ever played, is because you not only had the statistical output, you not only had a lot of the efficiency as well, but you had that confidence. You had that confidence that he was without question instilling in the rest of the team. So I thought Rashad White played well as a running back. I thought Baker Mayfield played well, obviously. They distributed the ball a lot. Don't need to be giving Kate dotten 11 targets in a game. Uh, I don't think they need to be duplicating that. But defensive side of things, it was kind of like a bend-but-don't-break situation. They were very multiple and flexible and aggressive up front. Uh, Jamel Dean and Carlton Davis played well enough. Antoine Winfield Jr., obviously, he kind of gave up that big, deep pass to Devontae Smith, but that was tough. It looked like they were in cover three and it was kind of just like a cover three beater or he was, you know, he had his eyes in the backfield a little too long and it was right in between where Winfield's zone was and Jamel Dean's zone was. So it was kind of just a good play and a good throw by Jalen Hurts. But other than that, really good performance by this defense. Now, all that to say, let's give the Bucks last three weeks context here because that's what we do here at PFF. Not trying to bring down the vibes, but three weeks ago, in a a game where they were hosting the New Orleans Saints. You win, you win the division. They got whooped. Saints beat them. And everything was on the line. They showed up flat. It was a bad performance. The next week, against the Carolina Panthers, the worst team in the NFL... Again, division on the line. Win and you are in. They barely squeaked out that win. And if Antoine Winfield Jr. doesn't make that Superman play uh, at the goal line with DJ Chark, maybe they do not win that game. Maybe Carolina actually wins it. So not a strong performance in Week 18, even to get them in the playoffs. And then, of course, they are playing what felt like the worst team in the NFL in what Philadelphia put out there the night before. If it wasn't Carolina the week before, they basically played the 31st worst team in the NFL in the playoffs in round one with what the Eagles are throwing out there. So my hat is off to what Tampa Bay and Todd Bulls have been able to do this season, not only to get into the postseason, because there were certainly games that they won where I didn't think that they were going to win earlier in the year. I think the green Bay one is a prime example. You go into green Bay. We saw what this green Bay team 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 is. Now they put a whooping on green Bay in green Bay, not too long ago. So you don't want to take everything away from them, but this game in Detroit, Will be much, much, much more difficult than anything that they have faced really since that Green Bay game. And the team that they have been in those couple of weeks since going up to Wisconsin has not been that same team. And if they're going to stand any chance at all against the Lions, it's going to need to be that Packers performance that they had uh, in December.
1: Yeah. I mean, we are, the next game is going to be ramping up the difficulty level quite significantly. I mean, you look, it's impossible to overstate just how easy the eagles made this for tampa bay you know credit tampa bay they made the plays baker mayfield made some good plays but even just look at the touchdowns like <laughs> look at each one of the touchdowns in sequence and just watch the eagles defense and you're like okay this is not real football this is this is like an nfl team playing it's like those games um you know like week 1 of the college season where an actual team is playing an fcs team and you're like this is bullying like this shouldn't exist in the in in the sport this is a team these are two teams that do not belong on the same field together it's an unfair matchup that's how bad the eagles defense was during this game so yeah tampa bay took advantage of that they scored they exploited that and absolutely good for them for doing that it's not going to be like that next week it's going to yeah. be harder and it doesn't mean they still can't do it but it's exponentially more difficult than it was in this game
0: i think two factors have to be much 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 better next week um than they were uh, certainly the last couple of weeks but even in that win against the philadelphia eagles one you cannot drop the football like that's i mean that is that is point number one your stars especially evans I, he, he he evans got to have zero drops next week if they're going to win this game if they're going to put up enough points to win this game he's going to be their focal point wide receiver one he can't have those drops you can't be doing that The margin for error is way too low against Detroit, especially on the road in Detroit in that environment. So the drops have to be eliminated. Two, the secondary has got to play a lot better because even though I mentioned they were able to survive it, there was a bend but don't break kind of a mentality. You looked at that play where Carlton Davis was guarding Devontae Smith in the end zone, and the ball ends up going like through Devontae Smith's hands, but Carlton kind of misplayed it, and the ball ended up, Getting through to where Devonte was, and he almost had a chance to catch that touchdown. It's plays like that that have to be better. That have to be more lockdown. You got to be able to have a PBU or a forcing completion or something at that point. Jamel Dean, kind of the same way, you know, gave up the deep pass to Devonte Smith in, you know, in unison with Antoine Winfield Jr. Again, I mentioned it was just kind of a good throw and a good play, but. You got to play more lockdown there. You can't have that stuff happen because the secondary has got to play a lot better. And the reason why I mentioned the secondary has got to play a lot better is because I still think Todd Bowles is going to be aggressive. They still, in order for the Bucks defense to play the way that it, that it needs to optimally, optimally play at, they have to be aggressive. It's the DNA of this team. They're going to bring pressure. They're going to bring blitzes. Ben Johnson's not going to ignore that fact like Brian Johnson did with the Philadelphia Eagles. Ben Johnson's going to be absolutely ready for it. Jared Goff is going to be ready for it. And when the Bucks dial up the blitz, you better believe there's going to be some checks. There's going to be some guys open. He's going to know where his eyes need to go, and the ball is going to get out of his hands quick. So that's why everything else has to be on its p's and q's because the Bucks can't. They can't be less aggressive. If they if they if the Bucks be less aggressive, they're going to lose the game before they even line up. They have to stay true to what their identity is and how they built that defense. And if they're going to do that, the secondary's got to basically play the best game that they've played all year. And so that's kind of what we're looking at here.
1: So the last thing we need to cover in this game is how uh, Nick Sirianni, the Eagles, the Bucks, they all, all of them conspired to ruin Eli's prize picks lineup with mm. the very last thing that had to come through. He hit... Four out of five, he's ticking them off as the weekend's games are going. He's like, yeah, Jared Goff, got it. Puka, got it. Travis Kelsey, got it. CJ Stroud, got it. And they're like, Jake Elliott's still to come. Two field goals, had his first field goal. Eli's feeling good early in the game. It's rocking. Gets his second field goal, only it's defensive offside. So what do we do? We take the points off the board and we go for it instead. And Eli's prize picks lineup goes up in smoke. Um, ruined by an amazing confluence of events. Now, I believe he stipulated this weekend that this was a flex play lineup, and therefore he still wins. But he was robbed of his perfect uh, 10x lineup in the price picks by that absurd confluence of events. That has to be one of the worst beats I've seen a a price picks lineup take uh, in quite some time. Um, Price Picks is, of course, the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. The easiest and most exciting way to play DFS, it's just you or Eli against the numbers. Pick more, <laughs> pick less. It's that easy. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in or watch the Eagles screw you. Uh, want to play alongside some of Price Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Price Picks community each week. Price Picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you have a player that exits the game in the first half and does not return the second, that player is rebooted. PricePix is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. Go to PricePix.com forward slash PFFNFL and use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. That's PricePix.com forward slash PFFNFL. And use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to one hundred dollars. Remember, Price Picks, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Brutal beat for Eli. Brutal, That's brutal tough, beat.
0: Tough scene, tough the, scene for our guy. The, the other thing,
1: um, the other thing I forgot to mention about that game is it turns out that Vita Vea is the solution to the push play.
0: If, Always has if been. You,
1: if you have a Vita Vea, you can stop the push play. If you don't, you can't stop it. But if you have Vita Vea, you can stop it. Now, wrenching the quarterback's head off his shoulders, you know, on the way is going to help. But Vita Vea being able to stuff that double team at the line was uh, was a pretty impressive thing to watch. Um, Let's take a second and just kind of tip the cap to Jason Kelsey on an insane career. I mean, he is going to retire at the end of this. He's apparently been mulling this for some time. But... Maybe the greatest center of his generation, you know, 13 seasons in the NFL, uh, a career PFF grade over 94, a career uh, run blocking grade over 95, and a guy when the rest of the league was trying to find big size, 310 pounds, 315, 320, Jason Kelsey weighed 280 at the combine, was drafted in the sixth round, and I don't know what he's been playing at in the NFL. He's been listed at 295, but I'm not buying that for a second. But he spent his entire career outmaneuvering and out-techniquing bigger guys and winning with speed, athleticism, and technique and has been one of the best to to ever do it.
0: Yeah, I mean, Kelsey has been a wonderful football player to watch, and I I tweeted this out earlier this morning. It's just he wins with technique, he wins with fundamentals, but, I mean, beyond that, too, he wins with determination. I mean, he's all out on every single play. You can tell – that this dude is about his work ethic, about his discipline. I mean, you don't have this kind of success in the league unless you have all those things. Time and time again, he's shown that he has been a selfless teammate. And the coolest thing about all of it is He plays the game with so much joy. You know, whether it's been moments on his podcast with with Travis or, you know, a lot of the the behind-the-scenes stuff that we saw during their Super Bowl journey or, like, whatever it's been, Jason Kelsey has always been the center of what feels like the most enjoyable moments for this team. So not only is he a hard worker, not only is he talented, not only is he a great example of what you can do in this game, when you are so good at your fundamentals, you mentioned the height and the weight. How he's not the biggest guy, he's not the the he's not the uh, the, the strongest guy, and playing in the trenches a lot of times that's a prerequisite, right? You've got to be big and strong to survive in the trenches, and he was able to overcome some of that lack of size with just phenomenal technique consistency. He's just one of the like you mentioned, all decade types of players. You, you mentioned is he the best center of the gen, gen, uh, generation? probably right depends where the line is with like generation but for the last you know 15 years since the turn of the century uh, jason kelsey has been an absolute staple of how to play the center position um at a at a tremendously high level uh every single season so you're right tip of the cap to one of the best of all time a guy that should be a first ballot hall of famer like i i don't know if you people will you know throw into like positional importance and of course it kind of matters like who's in his class all that kinds of stuff but regardless of knowing all the context of that five years from now when his name comes up the debate for him to be in the hall of fame should be very very easy
1: and i'm glad he got the ring because you know in, in 2018 because there's a lot of heartbreak towards the end of that career that softened a lot by the fact that he did get one and we got to see him in that you know ridiculous outfit on the the eagles parade but otherwise you know losing the way they did a year ago a in a game like that where they were so close and b like to your little brother i mean as much as i'm sure you know they love each other great but that's gotta suck right yeah so that that's rough and then the way this season ends you know to go out like that that's that's a rough back end of a couple of years if you hadn't already had the ring and already at least made it to the summit of the mountain. So I'm glad that he did get that ring and we get to celebrate a truly great career that gets invalid or gets validated, however silly or, or not that is, with his championship. So amazing career. You know, one of the best players we've seen during the time at PFF. Um, and I'm sure he'll go on to great things with the podcast. It's already... It's already got fairly insane numbers and success so far. and they're still pretty brand new at it. So can't wait yeah, to see what yeah. he does
0: and he and I feel like he's going to be on TV all the time, right? Yeah. Whether it's like a good morning football thing or what I mean, just he's, he he could basically do whatever he wants in broadcasting as well. So he's not going away. but, Salute to a phenomenal career for for, uh, for for Jason Kelsey. All
1: right, before we get into the uh, the mock draft sim, we're going to do a, a top five mock each one of us. Uh, I want to circle back to the Lewis Zamet thing, the rugby player entering the NFL for mm-hmm. the next you know hour and a half or so. Are you, you, know, tr- really... are you
0: drafting him in the top five? Is no, I, I, I don't
1: think enough? we can go top five. I think we need a little bit more proof of concept before we go that that far. Um, but I was trying to think like where he would play because I think a lot of these players. I mean, Mylata obviously is a unique case being a giant that he is but a lot of these guys the transition has been let's try and play running back slash punt returner right that's where Jared Hayne tried to do it for the 49ers it's where Christian Wade tried to do it for the Bills I think that's the easiest transition from a sort of natural skill set point of view but at 6'3 you know 200 pounds ish Reese Zammett is probably not playing running back and wide receiver is a pretty complicated position if you've never played it now you know you can you can do it in pieces right you can let's be a slant and a go guy let's be will fuller for a while right and then we can see what else you can do as you as you develop but initially your role is going to your your right tree is going to have four routes on it everyone else, forget what everyone else is doing yours is going to be four and that's all you're doing so maybe there's a way he does that i've also been wondering if you know playing in the back 3 in rugby actually is a good uh preparation for like some db skills particularly safety like does the vision translate in that way i'd be interested in but here's one
0: linebacker he's not big enough
1: no but here's one for you what if he played punter and punt returner how often has that happened before
0: i mean i'm gonna go out on a limb and say outside of maybe jim thorpe because jim thorpe (laughs) somehow played every position at the same time then yeah, never.
1: I'm sure it's happened before. There has to have been a guy back in the 30s or whatever that did everything and played punter, punt returner, kick returner, right. quarterback, like linebacker, all of it, right? But in the modern game, there's no way that's happened. Like north of the Is high he school good at level. He, yeah, I mean, he's got a big boot on him for like. but anyone that plays in the back three in rugby, generally speaking, has a has a howitzer of a of a leg okay. and can boot the ball. So. I think rugby yeah, players this, generally. That, can no, punt. this
0: is a good. This is good then. Just a, right. especially because he's a, he, he'll be like a back end of the roster guy and you yeah. get that free roster. Spot. So he's a he's Just he's your be a special teams ace for
1: exactly. Him. He is your return man and punter in one.
0: So that would theoretically mean that you would save a roster spot, but I don't know if you would because you can't not carry a punter another punter right why not like what if he got hurt what if your regular punter gets then you're hurt the, then you're in the bill situation and the head coach is getting asked at halftime hey who's gonna punt he's like yeah the next guy up's gonna punt it's eh. josh allen back there
1: your regular punter if he gets hurt you're in trouble what the hell let's like uh, how often does a kick returner get hurt
0: i guess i guess but but regular punters you see what i'm saying regular punters don't put themselves in harm's way a lot so eh. it's very rare that you would mo- lose your punter
1: I say, I say, give it a shot. Let's cross train the kicker to punt in an emergency, and he's okay. your he's going to be he's going to be your punt your punter, your punt returner, your kick returner, and then we'll have a gimmick package for him on offense as well. And let's really maximize this thing.
0: So you're saving multiple spots now.
1: I'm saving at least I, look, one, I'm, maybe I'm, two
0: roster spots. I'm, I'm intrigued. I'll give you that. <laughs> I'm intrigued because I don't know. I don't really know where he plays. Because you're right. I think running back would probably be the. Most logical given the transition from rugby to the NFL, but I, I'm trying to look on mock draftable. I don't see many, and when I say many, I mean any six any. foot three, right. two hundred pound running backs. That's what I'm the, saying. Cl- the closest I have so far is Derek Foster, who was drafted in 2000 out of Texas A&M Kingsville. Okay, and he, he was 6'1", 201
1: and that's not even close.
0: <laughs> and then we've got Sultan McCullough, who was undrafted in 2003 from USC, who was also 6'1", 202 pounds.
1: Yeah. So
0: I, I can't, not a lot I of can't find anybody who's like 6'3".
1: I will say, it turns out the man's DMs were open on Twitter, so I, I sent him a little message and see if we can get him on the podcast and talk about where he's going to play. We'll see if he replies. Nice. Um,
0: all right. A little slide into the DM. I know. Okay. You, you know right. Man
1: left them okay. open. we got to see if he's interested. Apparently, you know, I can only assume as somebody reportedly with a lifelong dream to play in the NFL, he's already an avid listener of the PFF NFL podcast and therefore would only be too happy to jump on this show and talk about, you know, his journey and wh- where he's going to go. Um, right. Anyway.
0: No six foot three. 200 none of them. Pound running we
1: are going to jump in to the pff mock draft sim and uh, each of us are going to draft a top five now that we have a fairly set draft order um and we know what it's going to look like and you know generally speaking that the lay of the land is in place uh if you want to sign up for 30 percent off any annual pff plus subscription you can use the promo code 30 mds 30 mds for 30 percent off any annual subscription draft for your favorite team with the mock draft sim along with us um, and dive into all the other stuff that PFF Plus has to offer as well. Uh, the best value you're going to find for any extended period of time. Jump in 30 MDS and draft along with us on the show right now. All right, Trev, you want to go first? Um, the Chicago Bears, they're on the clock. They have the number one pick. Caleb Williams is now declared officially for the draft. It is yes. all there.
0: Yeah, I'd be going Caleb Williams here. Yeah, I would be going Caleb Williams. I'm I'm intrigued by a trade-down option. I am. But not intrigued enough. Caleb Williams being in in the draft pool, I think that he is the easy number one overall pick. I I understand that Justin Fields is playing kind of well, but um, it's not good enough still at this point. And to pass up the chance to draft a franchise-caliber rookie quarterback at number one overall outweighs how well Justin Fields has improved this year in the level that he's gotten to. So I'm trading Fields. I'm drafting Caleb Williams, number one overall.
1: I am also definitely drafting. I'm using the pick, right? Like, first and foremost, I'm not trading it away. I'm not, um, you know, I'm not going with Justin Fields again. I'm trading away Fields. I'm taking a quarterback at number one. I suspect it will be Caleb Williams, but I also think there are going to be a lot of people that have Drake May as the number one. So mm-hmm. just to make this top five different, I'm going to take Drake May number one.
0: I don't hate it, and I agree with you. I think that there's going to be plenty of teams that end up having Drake May number one overall. I wonder if that has more to do with Caleb than Drake. You yeah. know, I think that Drake is phenomenal. I don't mean that to like be a shot at Drake May, but... Um, just Williams has those plays, especially from the twenty twenty two season, that are one of one. You know, you, you talk about there's not many quarterbacks in the world that Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Caleb Williams, basically it that kinda of makes these these crazy type plays and um that's just tough to pass up. Yeah. So no maybe I- people view the negatives more and, and do like Drake May a little bit yeah,
1: more. Yeah, I think you're right. That That's the sort of determining factor. The people that will have Drake May, number one, will be because they don't like Caleb Williams, right? Because they're, be they're like, more scared. Of yeah, that. it'll be, yes. I don't like... I don't like how he plays stylistically. I don't like, you know, they'll be the people, the bad face people. They're like, ah, he cried in his mother's arms or something. He paints his nails. I can't be having that as a franchise quarterback. I need the more prototypical. Like, it's going to be that. It's going to be that mm-hmm. conversation. But they'll be there. There'll be plenty of those guys. Um, all right. Number two, Washington on the clock.
0: Uh, it's easy. Unfortunately, I think we're just going to flip flop here. Right. Uh, I took Caleb Williams, number one overall, it means I'm taking Drake May, um, number two to Washington. I think that Washington's got a really. Um, fun path ahead of them now, right? I mean, you're talking new ownership, new general manager, new head coach, new franchise quarterback. It just makes so much sense to put all of those guys on the same timeline. They're all picking the same guys. They're all invested in that that most important piece. And so I, I don't think you can go anywhere else other than quarterback here. I'm going to go Drake Mayer too.
1: No, I agree. I don't really see a scenario where those two guys don't go one-two in some order. Right. Mm -hmm. It it might be Drake May one. It might be Caleb Williams two. It might be the other way around. But I can't really see a way it doesn't end up with that being the one two, and then it's it's three onwards is where the draft starts. Or you know one onwards, just depending on which order you want. And assuming Caleb Williams is not the cast iron locked in consensus number one, but they're going one two. So I'm taking Caleb Williams number two to Washington. All right. All right, number three, the New England Patriots on the clock in desperate need of a quarterback, but do they make it one, two, three, or is that way, way, way too rich?
0: <laughs> I mean, it sucks for them because they don't have a chance to pick one of those top two guys. Um, you know, all of a sudden, like a free agency, all right, maybe Kirk Cousins becomes available, you know, maybe you're trading for Justin Fields, anything, you, you, whatever. It cannot be Mac Jones or really app. That's right. the thing is it? it can be like anybody else. I'm calling like, if you're thinking about a veteran, I'm calling the Seattle Seahawks about Geno Smith as well. You know, you're moving on from the head coach there. If Shane Waldron ends up leaving, you're probably getting a brand new guy in there. Uh, whether or not they want Gino is, is maybe not the biggest determining factor because his contract and his cap hit goes up. So um, perhaps you can, you can get Geno Smith. I don't think Baker Mayfield is getting out of Tampa. So I don't think you're getting Baker Mayfield, but <sighs> it's just so hard to pass up on Marvin Harrison Jr. Oh, and it, it's just so, it's so funny, ironic as hell, that the first draft in like 20 years that Bill is not a part of, they not only prioritize wide receiver in the first round, they take one in the top three. I do think Marvin Harrison uh, is is worth that caliber of a pick, though. So I, I am actually going to go Marvin Harrison Jr. here for the Patriots at three.
1: Yeah, it, it's... It's interesting because we don't know what's going to happen before the draft. So there's a bunch of teams towards the no- the top end of this that need quarterbacks but might address them in a different way, whether it's mm-hmm. trade, whether it's free agency, whatever, and are not in a position where they desperately need a quarterback and they know that the best they're going to be getting is QB3 at-, at this spot or even lower for some of these other teams. So if it was like this and New England hadn't made a Move for a quarterback, I think they'd have to take one. But assuming they've already done that, then I think that then the decision is Marvin Harrison or the best tackle on the board. Um, it the Patriots draft history at wide receiver is fascinating. Like, the only wide receiver, an
0: interesting way to put it,
1: yeah. It's the only very, receiver it's very, it's
0: very kind of you to use the word fascinating,
1: like in the last 20 years, the only receiver they've drafted that's gained a thousand yards was a quarterback. Uh, and if they hadn't, if they hadn't traded for Randy Moss, Wes Welker, and uh, Brandon Cooks, like you would be looking at this saying they haven't had a good wide receiver in 20 years. This is nuts. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know that that would let them pass on somebody like Marvin Harrison. Like I I don't think they're looking at that and saying we are institutionally incapable of unearthing good wide receivers and everybody believes this guy's the top guy, so we have to take him. Um, I think I would also go Marvin Harrison.
0: All right, there we go. Easy enough.
1: Number four, the Arizona Cardinals.
0: Yeah, this is where it gets a little tricky, right? Because the Cardinals would love to get Marvin Harrison Jr., but uh, because of that win at the end of the season, kind of played themselves out of that opportunity, um... At least in theory. At least it opens up the door. They could still get themselves Marvin Harrison Jr., but it, it gets a lot more <laughs> risky. It's it's not near as much of a guarantee as it was when we were going into Week 18 versus how we ended Week 18. I think I am going to stick with wide receiver here. Malik Neighbors would be wide receiver one on a lot of other draft classes, and just the fact that Marvin Harrison Jr. is here, he's not wide receiver one. Um, so I I'm, I'm kind of torn though, because DJ Humphreys is getting up there in age. They can move on from him in his contract. If you draft Joe Alt, then you've got your left tackle. You got your right tackles, because Paris Johnson Jr. is there as well. <clears throat> no, I'm going to go Malik Neighbors. No, we're going to go Malik Neighbors. I know I'm 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 throwing Quinn in a binder here. Quinn is going through the mock draft simulator there on the show, so you guys can see it on the screen. But uh, I am going to go Malik Neighbors. I just think getting them that top tier wide receiver one weapon is going to mean a lot and him and Kyler I think are going to be it could be a phenomenal one-two combination so we'll go neighbors at four
1: yep I think that makes a lot of sense I think wide receiver two definitely has a chance to go off the board at this spot um I don't think they'll take an offensive lineman you know the weaknesses if you like on that offensive line are interior more than they are a tackle you know DJ Humphries is is like 30 I mean in this world he's still got plenty of time left if they want to keep him around and keep him as the the left tackle Um, So I don't think they'll take Joe Alt or uh, Olufashnu. Um, I think they probably would look wide receiver too, whether that's neighbors, whether that's Adunze. Uh, I think they'd also desperately, like they need defense everywhere, like every level of defense. So Mm -hmm. this is definitely a spot where I think the best defensive player on the board, whoever you believe that is, could go simply because this team needs defense at all conceivable levels. Um, So I'm going to go... I'm going to go for who I believe is the best corner in this draft and draft Nate Wiggins.
0: Oh, okay. Nice. Wiggins is good. I like Wiggins a lot. Um, Wiggins gives you that shutdown potential. I don't uh, like how far
1: the... Quinn had to scroll to make that happen. That's never he's a good got... sign.
0: <laughs> he's not that far. What is he like? <laughs> what have I got? him at like 12, 11?
1: Yeah, something like that.
0: All right, so... No, I think that Wiggins is great. I actually have Cooper DeGene with a higher film grade than him, so I wondered if you were going to throw a big curveball and agree with me and go with Cooper DeGene there. But, no, Wiggins is great. I mean, the 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 pride that he plays with the position, I think, comes out in a lot of ways. He's, he doesn't have that strength profile for run defense. Right. Just because he's a lot skinnier, he's more slender. But, man, when it comes to coverage... He line up against any wide receiver, and yeah, he does not give a shit like who it is. Like he doesn't care if you're six foot three, six foot four. He didn't care if you're five foot ten. He didn't care what your builds like, what your strengths, your weaknesses are. He's gonna try to cover you as best as he possibly can. And a lot of times, it's gonna come from that press alignment where he can really get in your face and get in with some contact with those long arms. So great ball skills as well. Uh, I think that this, this is a. Uh, they're going to need a corner, you know, whether it's here or whether it's at another, they have another first round pick as well. So uh, I like the switch up here. At least it gives us something fun to talk about.
1: So, All right. Um, Number five, the Los Angeles Chargers, the potentially yeah. Jim yeah. Harbaugh led Los Angeles Chargers.
0: Wait, not official, right? No, no, I no. Potentially.
1: Have... Potentially.
0: Oh, potential, potential, potential. I thought you were breaking news to me here on the show. No, no, no. Um, I was going to say, in that case, J.J. McCarthy. But uh, no. Um, <laughs> Chargers at five. A couple of different ways they can go. I think they need receiver tough seeing quentin johnson not be able to rise to the occasion this past year um and it's really hard to kind of like hang your hat on that moving forward especially given the fact that they're probably going to move on from mike williams contractually right um keenan Allen's getting up there in age they're probably going to lose jared jared uh, Leverett as well at tight end brock bowers i think it makes a lot of sense for this team like romo dunze could still make sense for this team um Offensive tackle, I believe, would also make sense. It really would. You know, if you're drafting Joel Alt or Olufocino, um, getting those two guys on the line of scrimmage, opposite Rayshon Slater gives you two really good young bookend tackles. I'll do Bowers, though. I think Bowers probably fills the most needs for them. Gives them a starting caliber tight end, somebody that they could play in line on the line of scrimmage. Also gives them a really great slot option, too. Hopefully, Johnson develops more as an outside receiver, and uh, Keenan Allen can basically play anywhere. So... I'm gonna go Brock Bowers here, and I think that he his production and his presence would be felt immediately for the Chargers.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I they, they this would be a great spot for them. Certainly the way my mock draft has panned out. I mean, one, two, three, four, any of the top four guys, five of the top six, I think would fit perfectly in this offense and have no problems like transitioning. Um, I I think they need wide receiver more than anything else. So as much as Joe Alt would be a great fit, I think natural Spot and as much as Brock Bowers would be a great fit, I think they need that wide receiver one, a guy that can come in, be the alpha in this offense again, um, even if Keenan Allen is still there and sort of transitioning away from that late in his career. And I really love the skill set. I was a little bit lower on him initially, and the more I watch of him, the more I love. uh, Roma Dunze, the Washington receiver, I think he might be wide receiver two in this draft. I would grab him here for the Chargers and stick him in there as the player that Quentin Johnson was supposed to be last year and probably right. is never going to become.
0: Yeah, well, okay, I'm not going to co-sign. never going to become. Uh, probably, probably. Year. But uh, I, I, will, I will give Rome his props. I went into this year, and the biggest area of concern with him was really his contested catches. Like, sure, it's great that you move as well as you do. It's 6'3", 215 pounds. We love that about your game, but you're also big... I need you to be better with contested catches. I need you to be stronger at the catch point than what he was in 2022. He was that in 2023. Absolutely. He he took that to heart. Um, yeah, I, when I say took that to heart, I mean, he listened to the podcast and he heard me personally and he made it his vendetta to prove me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but whatever it was, whatever the motivation was, whatever he ended up doing, with him having that contested catch profile now filled out, it really rounds out his scouting report in, in a phenomenal way. And just like I said, Malik Neighbors could be wide receiver one and basically any other wide receiver class i feel the same about romo doing we have three wide receiver one type players in this draft and uh, i got no problem drafting them basically anywhere in the in the top 10 after number three
1: all right there we go that's our top fives locked in um mine was drake may number one to the chicago bears caleb williams number two to the washington commanders marvin harrison jr number three to the New England Patriots, then Nate Wiggins, cornerback out of Clemson, number four to the Arizona Cardinals, and then Rome Odunze, number five uh, to the Los Angeles Chargers.
0: And I had Caleb Williams going number one to Chicago Bears, Drake May going to Washington at number two. Same thing as you, Marvin Harrison, go to the Patriots at three. I had Malik Neighbors, the wide receiver from LSU, going to the Cardinals at four, and then Brock Bowers, the tight end from Georgia, at number
1: five. Nice. All right. That'll do it for our show. Um, You're going to be down in the Senior Bowl week, right? You're going to be checking out all the guys at the Senior Bowl. I think Steve is going to be there as well. So I'm sure we'll have some form of correspondence from you guys while you're down there, some updates that we can uh, bring you on and talk about. But uh, that'll be an awesome week.
0: Yeah, no, I thought you were going to say that you're going to be down bad. And I was also going to agree with you. It's like, yeah, at some point I'm probably going to be down bad. Yeah, thank you for reminding me. But uh, no, we're not only going to be at the Senior Bowl, we're going to be at the Shrine Bowl as well. So we'll be able to give you all sorts of updates from that uh, myself and – and Dave Salfaro from PFF, We're gonna be down there getting you all kinds of footage, notes, practice stuff. So I'll be I'll be calling in on the shows on then too, and then hopefully doing some content with Steve at the senior bowl as well.
1: Is the shrine ball in Vegas again or where is that this no, year?
0: No, so it's actually in Dallas this year. It's okay. at the Dallas Cowboys. Frisco Star. Facility. Frisco. It's at Frisco, yeah. And so I'm I'm super excited about it. I've never been in that facility. Um, I actually saw there was a there was a bowl game that was hosted there. I don't know if it's for the first time this year, or maybe I was just watching it for the first time, but Facility looks awesome. Uh, Shrine Bowl does it up very, very well. So, I can't wait to see those players. It's going to be a jam-packed week with Shrine Bowl and Senior Bowl. There's going to be so much draft content here on this show, here on on NFL Stock Exchange as well. So, uh, I'm excited, man. That's kicking off, shoot, next week.
1: And then... We'll be Three in days. Vegas. We'll be in Vegas for the Super Bowl Media Week and all that stuff as well. So one thing we haven't had suggestions yet, but you should email in NFLPodcasts at dot com suggestions for things that Steve could do in Vegas. You know, I think generally speaking a large seven-foot human being in Vegas, there's got to be several things that just make comedy sense for that, right? And I don't know what they would be off the top of my head, but I'm sure our listeners have ideas of what he, Steve could do in the in Vegas.
0: Off the top of my head, he should go to the uh, Venetian Hotel and they have like an indoor not a
1: chance he can he fits the weight limit of one of those gondolas. No That's way. why I
0: want him to get in one of those little boats. I want him get, because like the river is super condensed because yeah, yeah. it's inside. So I just want to see Steve have to basically be like knees to chest. <laughs> sitting in one of these boats as this guy is rowing as hard as he possibly can just to just to finish the damn ride so steve can get off
1: with the gondola scraping along the floor of the canal (laughs) (laughs) he's gonna be like at the side on the the kind of where the balcony you know where you're waiting for the guy and steve's gonna be there at the railing waiting to get on this dude's gonna be like you know, tapping the sign that says Max Weight Limit 275.
0: Be like, uh-uh, no, not happening. So that's my suggestion. That's I like my, it. That's my one that, that's that, a good that, one that he could do. Anyway,
1: if you have any suggestions like that or better ones than Trev, send them in, nflpodcast@pff.com Comedy Things, we can make Steve do in Vegas. That that should be some good content. Uh, otherwise, I'll be back tomorrow, um, I believe with Steve, though it's to be confirmed. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Trevor, so much for showing up to the show, and we'll talk to you soon.